Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Well, good afternoon, brethren. (laughs) Welcome to Sabbath and to Bible study, and welcome to our guests, uh, Pastor Ramakan and uh, Jeremy. Welcome them. Brethren, let's uh, begin with prayer. I'll ask you to please stand. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come before you with hearts of joy and hearts of gratitude. We know, Father, that of all the billions of people on the earth and all the billions of people that have ever lived, we are in this very precious minority that you refer to as first fruits. And we're ever so grateful, Father, for this wonderful opportunity that we have to learn of Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ, and to preach and teach Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for him, Father. And we thank you for the early church and for the apostles. And we thank you now for this uh, study that we're doing of the book of Acts. We know that these things are written for our examples or examples for us, Father, upon whom the ends of the world have come. We know that all scripture is profitable, and it's good for doctrine, for instruction, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. We pray, Father, as we go through this study, that your Holy Spirit would work in us to help us to understand, help us to remember, help us to connect what we learn in this uh, chapter that we'll cover today with the rest of the scriptures, Father, so that we have a full understanding of your word and deepen our commitment and our conviction to fulfill our covenant with you. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you now for the souls that are gathered here today, and we ask you to be in our study and throughout the day with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brethren, as you know, we are going through the book of Acts. I think we had a a little bit of a break, but we're back into it now. And and maybe just by way of reminder, let's begin in, in Acts 1, the first chapter. Acts 1 and verse 6 says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So this is the whole point, that the kingdom of God will be established, and when it's established, it will be restored to Israel. Uh, The kingdom of God is an Israelite kingdom. You're either in Israel, or the book of Revelation says you're a dog, and you're outside of the kingdom. So this covenant is an Israelite covenant, and it's going, the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. <clears throat> Verse 7, And Christ answered and said to them, he acknowledges that this is about the kingdom of Israel, and he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. And this is what the book of Acts is about, that the church will receive power. And what we're reading as we go through the book of Acts is how this power is lived out. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. So, so that's what we're, this is really, you know, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It'd be better uh, titled or entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what we're witnessing here. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses or you shall be martyrs unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we have here the, the theme of the book, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, and we also have the table of contents. We're going to see this power of the Holy Spirit manifest itself in Jerusalem, giving the, the church power to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Then we're going to see it spread to all of Judea, then it's going to go to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're going to study um, Acts chapter 8 now, as the Holy Spirit works in the church in Samaria. And, and they become witnesses in Samaria. And then beginning in chapter 9, we'll see it go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Actually, we actually begin to see that in chapter 8. 
So hold that thought. That's the table of contents, and we're now at the Samaria part. And now go to Matthew 12. So this book is all about the power of the Holy Spirit and how it empowers the church to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's not, it's not said here, but as we read Acts, what we see is, in the face of Satan. Satan hates Christ. The Holy Spirit enables the church to become Christ's body on earth, and Satan hates Christ, therefore he hates the church. And so we're going to see this boldness that the church has in the face of the hatred of Satan. And Matthew 12 now, verse 31, says this, Therefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. This is, Christ came to forgive men. Christ came to, to restore mankind to God, not to condemn. So all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be given unto men. But, there is an exception, the blasphemy says here against, that's not in the Greek text, you have to supply the pronoun, uh, I would supply about, uh, the blasphemy about the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven men. So we're going to see the Holy Spirit working in Acts, but what we also see is when there's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's dealt with very severely, dealt with very harshly. So we see then in Acts, uh, we, we see the table of contents set up in Acts. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, they receive this power. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then we see now the opposition beginning in Acts 3 as the Holy Spirit works in them with this miraculous power and this boldness to preach the gospel. We begin to see the opposition in chapter 3, chapter 4. Uh, remember now in Acts 5, we saw blasphemy about the Holy Spirit in Acts 5. What we saw was the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they blasphemed about the Holy Spirit, this power that was acting in everybody to be so generous and to be part of this single community and to support the apostles as they advanced the gospel. And Ananias and Sapphira conspired together to pretend that they were all in that the Holy Spirit was working in them the same way it was working in uh, Barnabas. And, and we see here in Acts 5, verse 7, and, and this is just interesting, and we'll come back to it later in Acts 8. In, in verse 7 it says, And it was about the space of three hours after, so they have gone and they've buried uh, Ananias. Three hours later, his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And I, I want to just highlight this, and, and then she basically supports the same story, and she drops dead as well, blaspheming about the Holy Spirit. But I want to just highlight this, that she, she didn't have the shared experience of what happened to Ananias. So as she uh, is talking and conversing with the Apostle Peter, he has an experience, and the church has a common experience. She's coming from somewhere else. And so there's this collision with two different experiences. And we're going to see this in Acts 8 as well. Uh, just, so just park that for, for a moment. In Acts 6, <clears throat> we saw the appointment of the deacons, the diaconate. And notice in uh, verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report. And this is how they solved their minimum factor, uh, which we studied uh, when we studied Acts 6. Uh, find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we um, may appoint over this business. So this, uh, these attributes are important because in Acts 8, where we're going, we're going to be seeing Philip in action. And Philip is one of these deacons that has been selected. So we know that this is a man that is honest. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is about the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So this is a man that's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that was appointed into the diaconate. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, so it solved their minimum factor. And they chose Stephen. So the emphasis now in chapter 6 is on Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. So Philip is among this uh, body that was selected because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He had an honest report, full of wisdom, 
And this, uh, the, everybody was pleased when he was selected, and the other uh, five men as well, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on him. At the end of chapter 7, verse 59, we saw the um, stoning of Stephen, the, the deacon Stephen, as he just finished preaching the longest sermon in the New Testament, possibly in the Bible. And in verse 59, it says, They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So very interesting word there that he fell asleep. Clearly, he's going to wake up. And clearly, he understood this. Because as they were stoning him, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Understanding that that spirit that's in man is the mold that God uses or or that God will use in the resurrection. That we will have our personality, we'll have our memory, we'll have our character, we'll just be in new bodies. And he understood this. And so he's saying, Lord, receive my spirit. I await the resurrection to, to rule with you when you return. And now we come to chapter 8. Verse 1. And Saul, so now we int- we're introduced to this character called Saul, who will later become the Apostle Paul. Saul was consenting unto his death. In other words, he was celebrating. This was fantastic. We got him. This, this troublemaker who's preaching this strange doctrine. Uh, Paul, Saul was just thrilled that they, they got him. So he would have congratulated them, and they would have thought they're doing God's business. You know, the time will come that they, those who persecute you will think they're serving God. Here, here's this time. And at that time, there was a great persecution Is it a small persecution? It's a severe persecution on the church. So this is that Satan hates Christ. Don't take it personally. You know, if people hate you, it's Christ they hate. And it's the devil working in them hating Christ. And at that time, there was a great, a severe persecution, the the wrath of Satan against the church, which was at Jerusalem. You shall be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem. You must face the wrath of the devil as as you witness for me. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So here we see the table of contents now playing out. They start in Jerusalem, but as a result of the persecution, they must now go to the regions of Judea and Samaria. Judea being uh, Jewish and Samaria being half Gentile, half Israelite. Except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The brethren went out. So it would be like, you know, it's not impossible that there's severe persecution here in in greater Toronto. And it's so severe that Pastor Ramakan, Pastor Murray and myself say, we will stay here and we will face it. You guys run for your life and take the gospel with you. Okay. So all this study that we see the youth getting every week and the study you had today, this is not in vain. One day, people are going to be demanding answers, and you're going to have those answers. So you take what you've been taught and, and run for your life. We'll stay here and we'll face the music. And so the apostles stayed in Jerusalem against these Jewish uh, leaders and rabbis and priests, and the, the brethren were scattered. And it's important, brethren, that we think in these broad terms don't take persecution personally. And don't get wrapped up in your personal comfort. Stephen was stoned to death. The church, they had this beautiful community. Everybody was sharing. They had great leadership. It was just wonderful. And then the devil came and spoiled it. Well, actually what the devil did was advance God's cause. And now Christianity has been spread all over the world as a result of this persecution. Had the church had it their way, they would have all just stayed in Jerusalem. You know, if we have it our way, we might all just stay here in Burlington. The time might come when God says, no, it's time to separate and take the gospel with you. So we have to have this broad view, this, this 30,000 foot perspective or this eternal perspective that says my personal persecution is, is part of this broad scheme of things. And I'm happy to sacrifice my comfort to advance the gospel. 
and, and let's not get wrapped up in our own personal comfort and, and prosperity gospel. Look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10 says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. That, that's just common sense. We're under the shepherd. We're under our master. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. So we want to be like Christ and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So we expect to be accused of blasphemy. We expect to be accused of being devil worshippers. We expect to be accused of heresy because they accused Christ of these things. And we're not better than Christ. And, and he, he himself tells us how much more they'll call us these things if we're of his household. Fear them not, therefore. Don't be afraid of them. You know, the book of Revelation ends telling us that the fearful will be cast into the lake of fire. We must have courage. If we're a Christian, we're courageous. No such thing as a cowardly Christian. That's something else. If you're a coward, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're courageous. So fear them not. Therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. We will know who's who. Christ is going to reveal it all. What I tell you in the darkness that speak you in the light and what you hear in the ear that preach you upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body. This is what Stephen understood from Christ. He was not afraid. And the Holy Spirit empowered him so he was not afraid. Fear not them which, can, which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both, both soul and body in hell, in Hades. So we want to be in that position when we're dying where we can say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I look forward to the resurrection and I'm going to live forever and ever and ever with you. And the Holy Spirit gives us that courage and that calmness in the face of evil and persecution, which Stephen had. Let's go back to Acts 8. Acts 8, you know, the only thing we can say from, from the account here is that Stephen was guilty of being full of the Holy Spirit. That if, if there was a crime that he committed, that's it. He was full of the Holy Spirit and Satan hated him for that and hated what he was preaching, and thought he would silence him. Verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. He was a great leader. They loved him. They loved their leader. And they lost him in a very brutal way, and it was uh, sad for the church. As for Saul, he's rejoicing. He's on the opposite side, and he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Now, don't get too caught up on Saul. Saul is just an instrument of the devil. Is the devil still with us? So, there'll be many Sauls. And this is how they'll be animated, and this is how they'll be activated. And so we must just be prepared for this, brethren, this sort of hatred of Jesus Christ. And this, this uh, plagued Paul. If we go to 1 Corinthians 15, hold your place in Acts 8. We'll be right back. Uh, and look at um, 1 Corinthians 15 to say, see how much this weighed on the apostle uh, after his conversion. Beginning in verse 4, he says, uh, speaking of Christ, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is exactly what the scriptures said. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once, many witnesses, many eyewitnesses, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. You can go and verify it with over, with close to 500 people who are still alive. Some have died, some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Notice this, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. He, he, he diminished his role. He said, I'm, 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 I'm the worst of the apostles. And I'm not even meet to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. I, I oversaw this persecution, this great persecution, putting Christians to death, torturing them. I, I authorized this. And I, I led people to believe this was a good thing. 
and this plagued him, has plagued his conscience. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you have believed. So he's saying, you know, it wasn't in vain. I, I was converted and I was productive. And I really labored hard. In fact, I labored harder than all the apostles, even though I'm the least of the apostles. So you can see that this uh, really did uh, hurt Paul to, to his core, that he was responsible for this. But it does show that God can convert anybody. It's just his timing. And Saul actually was, was handpicked. Let's go back to Acts 8 and verse 4. Therefore, they, meaning everybody except the apostles, the, the church, but, but not the apostles, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So, so they were students and they were learning, but the time came when they had to take the gospel and become teachers. Then Philip, so one of the seven that were chosen, went down to the city of Samaria. So they're going through all Judea and into Samaria now, according to Acts 1 and the instructions of Christ. So Philip went to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord, so these are not Jews, these are um, Israelites mixed with Gentiles, uh, based on what happened to them in Assyria, but everybody with one accord listened, gave heed to those things which Philip spoke. Not only did they listen to him, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So the apostles did miracles when they preached the word. And now this deacon, as he goes into Samaria, he's preaching the word as well. And it's accompanied by miracles. So these uh, Samaritans or Samaritans who don't uh, know uh, uh, the church and are now being exposed to the church. God is credentialing Philip with miracles. So he's giving uh, the same credentials that he gave to the apostles. He's giving to Philip. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed of them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. So the same thing Christ did, the same thing the apostles did, we see Philip doing as well. And as a result, verse 8, there was great joy in that city. But, uh uh-oh, but, so there's great joy, something's wrong. Something's wrong, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city where, where there's all this joy and receiving of the gospel in that same, this was his territory, in that same city, he used sorcery. And with this sorcery, he bewitched the people of Samaria. So he had miracles. You know, you think of the Egyptian priests when, when Aaron and Moses went in and they were able to put down their rod and turned into a serpent. Pharaoh called for his magicians and they did the exact same thing. So these are, this is not, you know, magic where I say, you know, pick a card, any card, and I'll, I'll tell you what card you picked. Uh, this is sorcery. This is demonic power, which, which is, it bewitched everybody. They were just, wow. This man is a great man because of what he's able to do. Hold your place here for a second. Let's go to Matthew 24. So miracles credentialed the church. Miracles credentialed the apostles. Miracles credentialed Christ. Miracles are here credentialing Philip. But miracles are not what we look for to know if somebody's a man of God. Uh, miracles are supplementary. It, it's the word that they preach, the life that they live. So the word that they preach must be in conformity to the word of God. The life that they live must be in conformity to the word of God. No one is above the word of God. Now, if miracles are there, wonderful. And that's for people who don't know God, who people who don't know the church. That's, that's good for them to see that, get their attention. We, we don't need that. And I say that because of this here in Matthew 24. Jesus Christ warns us in verse 24, 
For there shall arise false Christs. There will be false Christs, false messiahs, and false prophets. And they will show great signs and wonders. So, so in, in the time ahead of us, this is Jesus Christ speaking. There's going to be sorcery. People are going to say, I am Christ, or that is Christ, or come see Christ. And there's going to be sorcery. We're going to see miracles. We can't be fooled by this. This, is, this by itself is not proof of God's existence. If anything, it's proof of the devil. The, the involvement of the devil. They will show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's the power of this sorcery. That it's going to deceive the whole world. And even the very elect could be caught up in this. So let's go back to Acts 8. Where this one Simon was engaged in sorcery And it says here, he bewitched the people. They were caught up in this. This was amazing. They they were just, you know, I've seen this uh, Chris Angel. Have you seen Chris Angel? And uh, there's there's some other guys as well, and they they can levitate, and and people freak out. I mean, that's what it does. When you see the laws of science defied, it's, it's amazing. And that's what he was doing to the people. Giving out that himself was some great one. Ah, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. We, the people of God, will never fall for someone who promotes themselves. Never. No man of God will promote himself as some great one. Every man of God, every prophet, will point to Christ. Every prophet, every man of God, every true teacher of Christ will point to Christ and will declare his greatness. And every knee shall bow to Christ. And his name will be above all names. So when we have somebody coming along saying that they are great, that they are the power of God, stop right there. We're not interested. Go, go, uh, go elsewhere. No thanks. And we know that that's the promise that the devil made to Christ in the desert. That if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. I'll make you great. Christ said, no thanks. God is great. So we exalt Christ, and Christ exalts the Father. That's how it works. You know, Simon is just mentioned here, and that's it. And yet, his influence is worldwide. It's like Nimrod. Nimrod in in Genesis, where he's just mentioned, I believe it's in chapter 8 or 9, And that's it. And yet Nimrod's influence is spread all over the world. Simon is the beginning of heresy. This what he sees, when we'll just read on here, we'll see where he sees what's going on with the church and he replicates it. And he's the father of heresy. Verse 10. To whom they all gave heed. Everybody was, was just bewitched. This was amazing. Everybody, they all gave him respect. From the least to the greatest. Even, even the greatest person in Samaria was saying, this man is the great power of God. The church now is coming into Samaria, coming into his territory, being moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is acting in each member of the body, and that is the great power of God. It is said here that Simon is the first pope, the father of all heresies. So this, you know, Simon Peter, that he actually went to Rome after this, and, and who they say is Simon Peter, the first pope, is Simon Magus, the magician. And in fact, I would go, so 1.2 billion Catholics think that the pope is the great power of God, and it started here. I'll go further and say 1.6 billion Muslims believe that Muhammad is the great power of God, and it started here. Simon Magus is the father of Islam. He's the father of Catholicism. He's the father of Gnosticism. He is the beginning of the Antichrist or the Antichristic movement. And a lot of people think there's no relationship between Islam and Christianity, when in fact Islam is an outgrowth of, Christian, of this Christianity. 
It was Khadija and Waraka, her cousin, who authorized Muhammad as a biblical prophet. They were the ones studying the Bible. And when he thought he was demon-possessed, they said, no, 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 you're, you're the prophet that, that is prophesied in the scriptures. They weren't there. He was there. And he came back terrified, saying he's demon-possessed. And they said, no, you're the prophet spoken of in the biblical scriptures. The name Isa, which the Koran uses for Jesus Christ, is not Jesus Christ's name. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. In Arabic, it's Yasu. The Gnostics called Christ Isa. So Muhammad got this name from the Gnostic teachings. Isa, Isa from Esau, the one that was cursed by God. This is Antichrist. And it's actually a reversal. Yasu in reverse is Isa. This is Antichrist. And there's a direct connection between the founding of Islam, Gnosticism, and Simon Magus. This connection is seen further with their denial of the crucifixion of Christ. Islam teaches, Muhammad taught, that they didn't crucify Christ. That at the last minute, Christ switched and someone else was crucified. This comes from Gnostic teachings. Because the Gnostics believe that God cannot die. Therefore, they could not accept Christ as God if he's going to be crucified. So their teaching was that at the last minute, he was switched and someone else was crucified, which is absolutely ludicrous because they didn't just crucify him. They beat him severely. They tortured him before they crucified him. If you put anybody else up on that cross, you're going to say, who's this? And Romans are very thorough and they documented everything. And we also see that over 500 witnesses witnessed his crucifixion and his resurrection. But the Gnostics say it didn't happen, and that spilled over into Islam. It's the beginning of Antichrist, right here. Further, we see this Antichrist movement that he is giving out that he's a great one. This is exactly what Muhammad did as well. And in fact, the legal code in Islam says this. The use of derogatory remarks in respect of the Holy Holy Prophet, whoever by words either spoken or written, or by visible representation, or by any imputation, innuendo, or insinuation, directly or indirectly, defiles the sacred name of the holy prophet Muhammad, shall be punished with death or imprisonment for life, and shall also be liable to fine. Muhammad, you you can't become a Muslim without coupling Muhammad and God together and worshipping them both together. We don't want to blaspheme Muhammad. We just want to teach what he taught. We want everybody to know what's in the Hadith, what's in the Quran, and what's in the Sirah. And we want everybody to know what's in the Bible and for them to judge for themselves. But here, Muhammad, if you say anything against him, that's blasphemy. And that's the spirit of Simon Magus, the great one. Verse 11. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So for, this was going on for a long time. And then Philip comes into this region and does these miracles. And the people are now amazed with Philip. But this sorcery had them in, in bondage for years. And again, these Arabs were bewitched by sorcery in, with the Koran. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, so he's coming, he's preaching the kingdom of God, they believed him, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So they believed they were baptized. Then Simon himself believed also. That's how powerful and how clear this preaching was. Philip was crystal clear about the kingdom and powerful in his preaching. And everyone accepted, even Simon Magus himself, the sorcerer, believed what, what uh, Philip was teaching. And there's no evidence here that this was a false belief. 
He, he believed in the kingdom of God. What's missing is the proper formula. So it says here he, was, he believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. So he believed and he was baptized. It says nothing of repentance. And that is the first step. If we look at Acts 2, when everyone received the Holy Spirit initially, it begins with repentance. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent, number one, then be baptized, then receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot skip step one. And, and here this sorcerer believes with everybody else. He's baptized and he continues with Philip. So Philip continues going on, preaching the gospel and doing these miracles. And it says here that Simon wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. That's what got his attention, the miracles. And this word wonders, it's the, it's the same Greek word as bewitched. So he was bewitching the people with sorceries, and then he was bewitched with the miracles of Philip. Uh, bewitched, the, the Greek is existeme, which means t- it's like to be beside yourself with astonishment. It's, it's to, be, to, to be put out of your wits. So it's almost like to be insane. So, so the people were astonished with his sorceries, and then he was astonished with the real miracles of Philip. And that's what, that's what got his attention. So the preaching was all right, but the miracles and the signs. We see this in Simon, but let's just pause for a minute and, and talk about ourselves. You know, it's good that we've repented. It's good that we believe. We've been baptized. We received the Holy Spirit. But look at Ephesians 4. We know from the holy days, the days of unleavened bread, repentance is a lifelong activity. You don't just repent once. Because of this human nature, this is a fight for our whole lives. And the minute we stop fighting, we run the risk of becoming another Simon Magus. And, and, and you know, maybe we've been in the church for a while, and we've developed a little bit of uh, uh, reputation. You know, this is somebody that speaks well, really knows the word. I love studying with this person. And then we stop repenting. And then we can become a Simon Magus, where it's now about appearance and not substance. Ephesians 4, verse 22 that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man. Put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And brethren, this is a lifelong process. So we have to make our calling and election sure. And having faith, having belief is great. Simon had belief too. But the scripture tells us to add to our faith virtue, to our virtue knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, then brotherly love, then agape. That's a lifelong process. Faith is not enough. We've got to repent. We've got to believe. We've got to be baptized. But then with the Holy Spirit, God gives us everything we need to add these attributes to our faith. And it's a lifelong process. Acts 8 verse 14 Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, so they stayed in Jerusalem fighting the good fight there. When they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. And that's not just hopping on a plane and an hour later they're there. They've they've got to travel and make their way there. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And in the youth study, Pastor Murray talked about John coming with the baptism of repentance, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So so now the apostles come. And this is where I was saying to you earlier um, with Sapphira, not having the common experience of what happened to Ananias. If she was there when Ananias, Ananias dropped dead, and then the apostle turned to her and say, 
what do you say about what, how much the house was sold? I think she would have said, you know what, um, we only sold it for this much. But she wasn't there. And she had a different experience and then came to the apostle. And the whole church knew what happened to Ananias, but she didn't. Well, here now, the whole church here that's in Samaria knows what happened to Stephen as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit, knows what happened to the church as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit, that this is not a game. The whole church came under satanic attack as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit. Simon didn't know this. Simon's experience is, I'm the great one of Samaria. Everybody looks up to me. Everyone thinks I'm the great power of God. And that's the experience that he's coming into this interaction with. There's a philosopher, R.D. Lang, that says, you cannot experience my experience. We are both invisible men. All men are invisible to one another. Experience is man's invisibility to man. So whatever you experience this morning, I have no idea. Whatever I experienced this morning, you have no idea. That that's our invisibility to each other, unless we communicate this to each other. So there's an invisibility that Simon and Philip have with each other. Philip doesn't know Simon's background. Simon doesn't know Philip's background or Peter's background. So verse 17, then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that it was through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money. Like this, this is powerful. I've, I've been using demonic sorcery, but if I could get a hold of this, the, the, I, I, they think I'm great now. Could you imagine if I could transmit the Holy Spirit to people? How great I could be? So he's like, how much do you want for this? Because this is, talk about a good investment. You name the price, it's yours. Because I can make it all back and more with this kind of power. In fact, the, the English term simony is used to, to refer to the buying or selling of ecclesiastical privileges. Uh, it's actually, you know, when we read this, it's more than that. It's really about putting yourself as the power of God. And it's, it's really antichrist. Saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. So you can see there was no repentance. He believed the kingdom of God. He believed the preaching of Philip. But he did not repent in terms of who he was. And in fact, if anything, he wanted to use the Holy Spirit to continue to inflate himself. Now, Peter is coming from, they've just lost Stephen. They've just buried Stephen. They've just lost their church. This wonderful community, everyone's had to run for their lives. All because their crime was receiving the Holy Spirit. And now this guy wants to buy the Holy Spirit? Two completely different experiences. This can make me greater. We've suffered tremendous persecution and loss, but we have to do what we're commanded to do. Peter said unto him, Your money perish with you, because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Let's, let's reverse here. Repent. This is where it starts. You've got to repent. Therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray to God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. In other words, you're a tool of the devil. You've given yourself over to the devil. Then answered Simon and said, Pray you to the Lord for me. So he believes in God. He has no relationship with God, but he believes in God. And he's asking Peter to pray for him, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And I might translate this as saying, you know what? I have an agenda. And I'm going to carry out that agenda. But since you have a relationship with God, can you pray for mercy for me? But I, I've, I've, now, I've, I've now seen 2020 how I can exalt myself even more. And nothing's going to turn me back from this. And that really is the beginning of the first heretical movement against Christianity. 
and all the other subsequent heresies are really born out of this, uh, and especially this whole movement of Gnosticism comes from Simon Magus. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, the, the apostles returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now compare that baptism to this next one. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise, get up, and go toward the south, unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. So go to the desert. And what's Philip's reaction? Empowered by the Holy Spirit? He's like Abraham. And he arose and went. It's like, he does, he's not the desert? Are you, are you sure? No, he just goes and he, he gets up and he goes. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure. So this is a very powerful individual. Uh, he's a eunuch, so that tells you that he's really close to the royal family, so they can trust him. And he's got complete control of her money. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So we see here, even though he's a Gentile, he's a God-fearer. So he's attached himself to the Jews. He believes in the God of the Jews. He's coming to Jerusalem to worship, but he's a, he's a, he's a Gentile. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, notice again how, spirit, how, how Philip responds to the Spirit. The Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran. So he didn't waste any time. As soon as he gets that command, probably the, the chariot's probably getting away now. And he's seeing it's getting some distance from him, so he's running to catch up. So he ran to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. So back in this time, whenever people read, they read out loud. You would never see somebody reading silently. They, when they read, they read out loud. So he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? So he must have been amazed at what he was hearing. And he had to ask, do you understand this? And the timing is amazing. So the spirit says to Philip, get to this chariot now. And as he gets there, the man is reading Isaiah. And Philip is like, do you understand what you're reading? Notice his answer. He's a very powerful man, very powerful individual. And he answers, how can I, unless someone should guide me? I don't, I, I, I'm, I, don't know, I don't understand what I'm reading. I need someone to explain this to me. And he desired or he pressed Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So if you know, come and teach me. And, and brethren, there are people out there that are reading the scriptures today. That, that they, they know they don't understand it. And they want answers. And we should be there. The Spirit should be guiding us to be there to guide them into understanding Jesus Christ in the scriptures. And, and you know, we need to know what questions are people asking themselves as this world unravels. And we should show up then with the answers to show them in the scripture. Verse 32. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, right out of Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So, so Philip heard him reading this. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, teach me. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I, I, I beg you, of whom is the prophet speaking? Is he speaking about himself or is it somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And, and we should be able to do that, brethren, that anywhere in the Bible, they could be in any book, and we could ask somebody, do you understand what you're reading? And right, beginning right from that book, teach them Jesus. Because the entire Bible is about Jesus. In fact, look at John 5. Hold your place here, John 5. 
John 5, verse 39, Christ himself says, Search the scriptures, all of them, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So the entire Old Testament which they had, he's telling the Jews, Search the Old Testament, all the scriptures, all of them testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you shall receive. So they'll be happy to receive Simon Magus, or any clone of Simon Magus, but they won't receive Christ. How can you believe which which receive honor one of another. So you're all into honoring each other. And seek not the honor that comes from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. So we should be able to take any of the books of Moses and teach Christ. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Back to Acts 8. Verse 36, and as they went on their way, so they're in this chariot, must be a very magnificent chariot of the royal household, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me to be baptized? So this God-fearer who knew that he was outside of Judah, so he could not become a Jew, not only that, he was a eunuch, and Deuteronomy 23 says, He that is wounded in the stones or has his private member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So I'm sure the Jews would have been certain to point this out to him. But he feared God, and he was a God-fearer. And now that he understood Christ, he's, and he sees water, he's saying, Why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And again, he's speaking to a God-fearer, someone who is familiar with the scriptures. This is not just some guy off the street that says, I believe in Christ, and we, we, we baptize him, and he has no idea what he's getting into. This man understood the scriptures. He didn't understand Christ. Now that he understands Christ, he says, yes, I believe in Christ. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. Notice the, the, the authority that this man has. He's, he's not the one riding the chariot. He's got servants. And he commands them to stop the, the chariot. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Here is somebody that's been excluded from the house of Israel. And now through Christ understands there's no reason for him to be excluded anymore. And he's now part of Israel. And he went away rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, so somewhere in Palestine. And passing through, he continued to preach in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And so ends Acts chapter 8, which is again all about the acts of the Holy Spirit. We saw it first in the apostles, and now we're seeing it in the deacon Philip. And next we're going to see it now in the apostle Paul, as it goes from Jerusalem to all Judea to Samaria, and ultimately to all the ends of the earth. And what we see in all of this, brethren, from Pentecost, is how the Spirit enables the church to have the boldness of Jesus Christ. As I said when I began, you can't be a coward and a Christian. It's impossible. Every coward will be thrown into the lake of fire. To be a Christian, we must be courageous. We must have this big vision. And the past is prologue. So as we study history, it's here for a reason. And, and history repeats itself because men don't learn. And if men could learn, they would read this and they would realize every knee is going to bow to Jesus Christ. But they don't learn. We must preach Christ. So let's stop there, brethren, and uh, 
welcome your feedback, your comments, questions, thoughts. Hopefully this was helpful. And I think Brother Gord as well. Oh, you're, okay. <laughs> it's amazing, like, uh, when you, we really study the life of Simon the Sorcerer and we understand that he was the first Pope and what he did. And he's continued the same thing when he wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Roman Catholic Church say today? You can buy your way out of purgatory. It's the yeah. same thing. They haven't changed their modus operandum one little bit. It's exactly the same. It works, and they get wealthier and wealthier. So why change? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, this this whole notion of exalting man. True teachers of God do not exalt men. They exalt Christ, and Christ exalts the Father. And so anytime we see someone exalting themselves to be a great one, we're not interested Okay, let's... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Simon Magnus reminds me of uh, an early type, prototype of uh, Benny Hinn type. Uh, you know, wanting the power sure. to heal. For sure. And uh, making himself great and getting rich on it too. I, I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm sure that if we were to trace the roots of Benny Hinn and, and the whole tribe of them, it would go right back to Simon Magus, pass through the secret Gnosticism. That, that's all Gnosticism, just pass through from one generation to the next. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. One more thing. Uh, I noticed Philip, being an apostle, didn't lay hands on. He waited for Peter to come? Being a deacon. Oh, he's a deacon? Yes. Okay, okay. so it wasn't Philip the apostle. Was Philip the deacon? Yeah, I believe it's the same Philip in Acts 6. That was uh, selected one of the seven, full of the Holy Spirit, and then we see. So Stephen was killed, and then we see Philip continue. Oh, I see. So he could baptize, but he couldn't lay on hands. Well, that's what the scripture indicates, yeah. um, because he did baptize, and then the Holy Spirit only came when the apostles laid on hands. However, so I, yes, my answer is yes. But the question I have in the back of my mind, and maybe Pastor Ramakan or Pastor Murray, you can answer this, is um, the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Philip baptized him, and then the Holy Spirit came and took Philip away. By implication, you know, was the Holy Spirit given to the Ethiopian eunuch, even though the apostles were not there? I I don't know the answer to that. Just uh, wait for the mic there. Right. It would have been that all of this was done because the Holy Spirit was active guiding everything but um, by implication if you were baptized with water although the scriptures do not go into the detail of explaining that he now laid hands and received the Holy Spirit it is um, implied Mm -hmm. that he would have gone through the process Mm -hmm. and then if he opened you would have received the Holy Spirit that's my my thinking as well yeah Jennifer. Uh, I have a comment about uh, boldness mm-hmm. because I think we're all at uh, different stages of boldness. And uh, I think uh, when we look at the life of Gideon, he was very fearful and God saw what he was capable of. And so God still worked with him when he was fearful to bring him to the point where he could be used fully. So I think if we're fearful now, uh, I think we just have to pray for that courage and not to be discouraged because we just don't have the boldness right now. Right, I would agree um, that it is something we pray for. Um, The period of the judges, I'd be careful about using any judge as an example. I think the period of Judges is really a period of, of um, rebellion and God working with this nation despite their rebellion. So that's not the same as the, the period of the church where we're not in a state of rebellion. But I do take your point 
that we're all at different stages. Um, Philip was full of the Holy Spirit. The apostles were full of the Holy Spirit. Christ was full of the Holy Spirit. So, so we have to pray and conduct ourselves in such a way that we are full of the Holy Spirit. And, and there should be a calmness and a peace that we have walking in God's will. Uh, but I, I totally agree with you. But I think, though, if we are fearful, we must make it our priority to stamp out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So if we do feel fear, we must say, I'm not perfect in love. So let me pray and fast and and develop this love for God, for mankind, for my fellow man. And when I can get there, then I'll have that peace that surpasses all understanding. But I, I, I do take your point that we mustn't be discouraged. This is hard. And the world is changing. The world is changing dramatically, profoundly, and fast. And so we, and a lot of people are going to be losing their minds with the future. Uh, We should just have this calmness and that it's okay. Uh, God's hand is at work. But thanks for that comment. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.